Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Runner's World Podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews and news from the wide world of running. Kerry? What have we got coming up on this month's episode? We've got tons this month, uh, but I think among the highlights, we have an interview with Sophie Rayworth, BBC Newsreader, who's just run across the desert. We have an interview with uh, another nutty runner, Rob Pope, uh, who has tracked the route that Forrest Gump took in the film across America. And we also have an interview with Runners World columnist Paul Tonkinson. So um, what have you been up to, Kerry, this month? I have been mostly running in a massive storm in Boston. Um, I achieved a lifetime ambition of running the Boston Marathon, which is the oldest marathon in the world. It was the 122nd running of it this year. Um, I was massively excited to be doing it, got there. The day before, it was beautiful sunshine. The day after, it was beautiful sunshine. The day of the race, it was minus eight. There was a storm coming off the Atlantic. And there was a headwind for all 26 miles of it. And how many how many layers were you wearing for this? I was wearing four layers on my legs, six layers on my torso, <laughs> and five layers on my head, one of which was a plastic shower cap from my hotel. Classic race day wear. Well, I had the opposite, actually. I, I, I was uh, pacing at the London Marathon, which I think was the hottest London Marathon record. I yeah, think. so I believe. So it was, uh, it was something like 24 degrees and... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of carnage out on course. It was very, uh, very, very hot. Lots of people fainting and the rest of it. But um, managed to get the flag round just. Yeah, no, I, I, I went and watched it. I was trying to work out afterwards which is which is worse, running in extreme kind of cold or heat. And I don't think there's an answer to that. But when yeah. I was watching London. There were people, like you say, there were people getting dragged off the course like sort of dead buffalo. It's like, oh, is another one gone? Let's get rid of them. Yeah, it was early on as well. It was in the first ten k, people were really struggling with it. But um, yeah, I think of the. 200 people that started with uh, my flag, only about maybe five got round in the right time. So that's that's who, great pacing. You were one, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I was one, yeah. So aside from uh, your marathon running, Kay, what else have you been doing? What did you mean? I can't just run majors for the rest of my life. Like, surely, there must be, disappointing. surely there must be more to your existence. Um, I'm trying to improve my swimming. I'm trying to, I don't, you know, I think a lot of runners will have the same problem that when they, you know, they train for a spring marathon, um, and then summer is looming and it's difficult to kind of maintain your focus. You might have an autumn race in mind, but I think I'm going to take the opportunity this year to do train for my first triathlon, which means improving my pathetic swimming um, and work a bit on my speed as well. Do some, you know, short, sharp race in the summer. I don't think, I don't know about everyone else, but I really don't want to be doing slogging marathon training throughout the summer. Yeah. No, what about well, you? Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about some speed stuff, which I think would be would be a nice idea, the, the idea that, 
as a team, perhaps, we could attempt the four-minute mile. So the idea, yeah. so maybe everyone does a lap, you know, four laps of a 400-metre track or even 200 metres, you know, a couple of times between four of us. I think the operative word there is attempt. Yes, I think we still wouldn't do it. But, um, it, yeah, it's a lot trickier than... Um, than people think, but I'd be interested if any if any uh, rapid readers want to give that a go as well. See how see how close they get to uh, the sub four. But I, I think it really is a great achievement, even with four people. Actually, maybe we should maybe we should set something up on the site, or mm. you know, with Strava or someone like that, where invite teams of four to give it a go. Yeah, have a leaderboard or something. Yeah, it's not. We'd it's have not to easy. do a bit of training ourselves first because we don't want to set up a leaderboard and then come bottom of it. So, were we thinking of going to that rather random track in Regent's Park that isn't actually four hundred meters? Yeah, no, it's it's three hundred eighty meters. But if you run, I think I've got this right. If you run on the line between lanes two and three, you're actually running four hundred meters. But it's kind of stretched out and oval, like longer than a normal track as well. Which right. means when you go around the bends either end, it's really tight cornering. Right. The kind of one eighty. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, what could, what could possibly uh, go wrong or right, in fact? But, um, yeah, so something like that in the summer, I agree with you. I think summer lends itself to, to speed and maybe some kind of slightly sillier challenges like, like the beer mile or something. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I remember talking about this uh, last autumn, having done the beer mile previously and, and you know, acquitted myself reasonably well. Yeah. Um, trying to do a winter version of it, you know, like the mulled wine mile. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But then this spawned all sorts of conversation in the office about what would be the best booze to have if you're running a mile you know stronger ones would probably hit you quicker but they don't have <laughs> like the gas problems that you yeah, do with beer sure um but i'm all for you know trial and error and experimentation absolutely in well it's it's self-sacrifice isn't it at the top of the sport yeah well you know when you work for runners world you have to take these things seriously and put the man hours in i feel this is the runners world podcast so there's been some sad uh, news this month as well. Um, the late, great uh, Bruce Tuller uh, passed away, who was a, a sort of pioneer of, of barefoot running and also a previous uh, coaching editor at Runners World. And Kerry, you had, you had a chance to meet him, didn't you? I did. Uh, I met him years ago, not long after I'd started at Runners World, um, I think 2009, and I went out to a training camp in Portugal where he was one of the coaches. Right. Um, and he was awesome. He just had that kind of aura about him of I've been there done it but in a really kind of polite humble sort of a way and he would just sit by the side of the track and give people little tips and pointers quietly if they chose to receive and he wasn't kind of foisting himself on anyone yeah um and I'd never really heard of him before um but I went and looked him up and you know he's definitely one of our greatest athletes and definitely one of our most unsung athletes I think but you know he competed at uh, the Rome Olympics which I think was 1960 um, he was European 5,000 metre champion, um, which he achieved by running barefoot, like you say. Um, he set a new record in the late 60s for running solo across America, which was, where have my notes gone? 2,876 miles in 65 days. That's quite something. Um, almost as good as clocking a 247 London marathon at the age of 58. Um, he's written books. He's set up marathons. I think he set up a marathon in Kenya where you run across a game reserve. Yes, yeah, so they have com, to, yeah. So it's Faricom, That's the one. So they have to have rangers with rifles at certain points to kind of keep the lions away and helicopters <laughs> overhead and stuff. So <laughs> it sounds nuts, but you know it, that's that's the kind of way he thought. It kind of like anything can be achieved. Let's go for it. Yeah, I think absolutely incredible person. Actually, this interview that was in in Runners World uh, in when was it actually? It was maybe I think we last interviewed him in 2015. 2015. And, yeah, it's really interesting, his, his sort of philosophy on, on running. So 
was quite low mileage. You know, he, he achieved lots of his uh, record-breaking stuff on 30 to 40 miles a week. Lots of those uh, miles running barefoot as well. Um, and he says that he very, very rarely gets injured. And part of the reason for that was uh, he attributes it to the fact he was almost race weight the whole time. So for, for Bruce, that was very light. That was kind of between eight and nine stone. And uh, also he believed that actually, you know, doing a, a lot of training on grass or sand in his bare feet stopped him getting injured. So. Yeah. I mean, I remember on this training, we, we went out for dinner to a restaurant one night where we managed to escape the camp. And, you know, even at the age of, he must have been mid-70s or something then, mm. he was still incredibly disciplined about what he's out. He brought his, his wife out with him and she was, you know, just eating normally like everyone else was. And Bruce would just kind of like, he'd order a normal plate of pasta but not finish it all. He would think carefully about whether he was going to have a dessert or not. And, right. But it was all completely second nature. It's just... You know, maybe it's because I'm such a glutton that I, I notice things like that. Um, but it's it's just really admirable. I mean, you mm. know, I think once a runner, always a runner. Yeah, for um, sure, for sure. And one, and indeed, once an elite, always an elite. He had that mindset, and I think that's probably why he stayed so so healthy and st- so involved in running um, right to the end. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? What's happened to kind of where the kind of barefoot boom didn't we have born to run, which again was something yeah. that, that Bruce met the you know, Taramara Indians, I think, back in 1971, apparently. So decades before. McDougall went down there and kind of discovered uh, yeah that I mean McDougall's book was 2009 wasn't it or something like that yeah something like that yeah so he's, he's a real pioneer on that front and uh, I think his approach to barefoot running is a really smart one in that he was he wouldn't go you know he wasn't saying I go barefoot running on uh, concrete and I do 70 or 80 miles it was like I'm a light skilled runner and I and I throw barefoot running into my training and I actually think more people could potentially look at that because I think barefoot running has become a little bit of a dirty word and maybe it doesn't need to be. It has. I think, you know, everybody got very excited um, mm. when Barefoot Winning came out and then people started wearing fancy shoes um, that, you know, that made certain claims that weren't necessarily backed up by mm. the reality. A lot of people got injured. There wasn't enough credible information about the subject. Yeah. Apart from, of course, in the uh, Between the Pages of Runners World. So. <laughs> <laughs> um but, yeah, people think that you're kind of an evangelist or a bit of a nutter or just, just odd if you yeah. do it. But it's definitely just like interval training, hill training, training on sand dunes. You know, there's a place for it as long as you do it sensibly and appropriately. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think that's exactly what um, Bruce's legacy, uh, one of the things that Bruce's legacy should be all about. And, um, yeah, we're trying to honour Bruce, actually, this Friday, Friday 18th of May. And we're doing a Barefoot for Bruce 5K in Hyde Park. So we're starting it at 1 p.m., at the gate closest to uh, Hyde Park tube station. So anyone who wants to come along and honour uh, Bruce's life and legacy, uh, you can see us there. So in the studio with us, we've got Paul Tonkinson. Good afternoon. Hello, mate. Paul is our um, Runners World columnist, one of our two columnists in the magazine. He's also, I was going to say keen runner, but that's that's doing him a disservice. He's an awesome runner. Yeah. A sub-three marathoner. Um, feels like ancient history now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once you've got the time, once it's you've got forever. It, once it's there, it's there, yeah. Um, and, yeah, all-round running enthusiast, does his own podcast, stand-up comedian. Um, good afternoon. Too, too, way too early for legend, isn't it? I mean, I've got another... Well, if, I, if, I, if, I'm, if I maintain <laughs> some kind of tempo and creativity, 15 years... Almost, almost yeah. legend. Almost Al- legendary. Almost yeah. legendary. Well, we'll see yeah. how you do in this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Now we can give you a verdict <laughs> yeah. at the end. Yeah. Steady. At the moment, yeah. I'm a hardy perennial. Well, <laughs> on the kind of legendary sub-free status <laughs> that we've decided you've got, I mean, 
You did the sub three last year. Yes. And that was that was what a, 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 mass, must, a massive effort. A massive effort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was uh, surprisingly difficult and took so much focus. Um, I think I'd taken it for granted up to in, in when, when I when I was running in sort of like early thirties or whatever. I thought I'm, I'm just gonna, it's just going to arise naturally, and then I kind of realised that it wasn't. <laughs> I was going to have to focus everything on it. And by the time I did it, was so I was forty seven years old. I was virtually a full-time athlete for about six weeks. I hardly gigged, you know, sort of sleeping during the day and, you know, sort of doing the Paula Radcliffe. So I wasn't doing cold baths, but I was sort of... I took it way too seriously. But having said that, it was great to get. But, my goodness, I don't know whether I could do it again. Yeah. I mean, what's your running been like after that? Has it been quite hard to get back on the... It's been um, sporadically intense. I, I, uh, I floated into the summer... And then the great thing about a spring marathon is, is that you, you've got so much base fitness, haven't you? That with any, with a few speed sessions, you can quickly, you know, crack a few PBs. So I've, I've run a little bit on the track, five Ks and ten Ks, and w- was good. And since October, it's been a tale of sort of slight sort of injury woes, really, and uh, not as much training as I'd like. I keep sort of pinging my back. I've pinged my back a couple of times. It's been a couple of weeks out and it's just getting back to that sort of running naturally. I've, the summer's brought me out again and I'm, I'm going to, we were talking just before the podcast uh, started, I'm hoping to do my first track session of the summer, really, <laughs> uh, tonight, if all goes well. And I'm desperate to run like club championships and short races. I was going to uh, pace London. I wasn't fit enough for London. Looking at the weather, I think I made the right choice. I think it would have been quite calamitous. Um, and yeah, I'm just to be fair. I, I know it's not a particularly inspirational message. I'm nowhere near fit at the moment. So does that mean? <laughs> so for those for regular readers who have followed your column and those of us that run as well, work at run as well, we know that um, you've got people at your running club who you use as a benchmark. There are yes. people that you normally try to beat or who can beat you. Yes. How it, is that going to work tonight when you're when you're not fit? Are you going to be hard on yourself? It's going to be pre- it's going to be pretty poor. Well, I, was, I was chatting to Rick I was saying that's a tough thing when you come back to to racing. Um it's a real blow to the ego because the people who used to trounce in the in the long reps yeah. or, mm. or even just tailing the long reps, you've 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 lost it. I was approaching the back end of the A group towards the end of last summer, which was it was a dizzy height. It was, I was dizzy. It was I was getting dizzy, and now I'd be definitely off the tail end of the B group. You know, it's but I'm but my ego won't accept just joining the C. What I should do is just join the C group. No, no. longer recoveries, less work. But I won't do that. I'll plunge in tonight. Probably end up injured again, and the, and then the process will continue. You know, it's yeah. It's unless you you quickly lose fitness, you can get it back, but you quickly lose it, don't you? Yeah, it's a pretty unequal ratio, isn't it? The yeah, amount, it can be. The amount of time you have to put into to just grabbing little bits of fitness and then you just lose yes, huge chunks like yeah. that. Especially as, as you, especially as you age, um, you start to, it takes a long time to get it back. And also yeah. weight as well. I think for me, weight's quite crucial. Just the, Obviously, the thinner I am, the, the faster I get and feel. Um, I'm a, sort of about half a stone overweight. And you, you just really feel it. Yeah. But you must be pleased with achieving sub three because i remember when you first started writing for us and you said look i read the magazine i want to write. i used to run in my youth i've just sort of got back into it yeah, yeah and then yeah. over the last four or five years it's been a steady progression then one day you were like you know sod it i'm gonna do sub three it was so tortured wasn't it it was i was aware that i brought so many people into my psychodrama <laughs> the yearly assault so yeah I, I, don't, don't get me wrong i was very pleased um to do it um and it meant a lot to me and i gave a lot to it and it was a period of of life which i really enjoyed i really like it when you're running when you've got an event 
that you're really giving everything to because yeah. it just simplifies everything else in your life. You've got a structure. You don't overeat. You don't overdrink. You get you, you look after yourself because it's all about the event. And I'm I'm not very good at that. But when I do focus, I really go for it, and I really love it. Um, and so and so for that to come off was just a, a lovely sensation. That intensity. I think that's what running can give you. Is it can give you a sense of shape and control to your life. As life can get quite chaotic as you get older, or life just gets more chaotic generally. So, but, and races give people that simplicity. And I, I really so would, you, would you say that you're quite. <coughs> Quite an obsessive personality, then. Once I, once you set your mind to something, that's... I, I can be, yeah. Once I'm in, I'm all in. And that was a great thing about beating three. It's it's an absolute state, isn't it? It's like you've either done it or you haven't. So I've, I know I've got club mates and they've, like, done three hours and 40-odd seconds, you know. And we, we were chatting before, like, well, it's sort of three... But it's obviously not, though, is it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Time exists. It's an absolute state. And once you've done it, you've done it. And it, it, it undeniably felt... Uh, it, it felt amazing. Yeah, it really did. I think there's there's two ways this stuff can go. So when you and it doesn't have to be sub three, it can be sub four. I think the, the numbers. Of course, important. yeah, absolutely. Of but, course, um, yeah. It's just it's just your aim. It's your goal. Exactly, isn't it? yeah. exactly. And I think once you achieve a really a really hard um, goal like that, yeah. you can either say I'll never do that again. Mm. I'm mm. really really glad I did that. I did it once. Yes, which is sounds a little bit like your approach, and, and certainly Andy, uh, one of yes. our editors, yes. done sub three once, and that's and he's really happy with it, and that's fine. Or you get someone like. Kate Carter over at the Guardian running blog. Yes, yeah. Did two fifty nine very recently. Yeah, and is already thinking about getting sub, faster. Sub two fifty five, and it's and it's a. I think you can kind yes. of diverge when you when you achieve yeah, something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she sort of. Um, the the difference is, is that she's uh, relatively. Uh, a better runner, isn't she? In terms of like the percentage of women running, sure. she's way faster than I'm in terms of the percentage of men running. She's a, yep. she's closer to an elite woman than I am to an elite man. Yeah, I'm sort of like a decent-ish club runner, sort of for my age, and she's a, obviously a very good athlete. So um, I, I totally get what you mean. I, I, and at the moment, for me, it's a little bit too early to say. I just want to get into gradually. Uh, running more regularly and sort of just little injury niggles. Try and have a quick uh, track season, and then I might recommit to try to go for 255 or something but i don't quite know because as you get older it gets harder yeah so right. you've got to train harder as you get older to run just a little bit faster i don't well, know whether my wife be, will accept it <laughs> there seems to be a, a growing trend among runners who decide that they're not going to get any faster or whatever their distance is to go <laughs> right well the one thing i can do is go longer yes so can yeah. we see you expecting to strap on a backpack and be running across various I, I countries think, i think I'd, I'd love to do this. I, I i see the um once you've accepted that you can't go faster i still hope that i might be able to go faster at shorter distances because i did loads of running when i was a kid on on the track and so i always loved track running like 5k's on the track or you know 15 even 1500 meters i really love that so i want to get a bit of that in and then i see that the last it might, it might be the, the last stage or the second to last stage, um, sort of adventure, adventure races. So I put ultras in with adventures or like, you know, let's run this marathon in a strange and exotic place sort of thing. Just running purely for a laugh, which I will definitely do, but I'm not there yet because I'm still competitive. <laughs> and I still want to beat my mates. The you equivalent know. of becoming an international football manager, isn't yeah, it? Sort yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. You're just floating around, <laughs> yeah. just floating around. Except of... no one's paying you. you yeah, know? yeah, the sort of Sven role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just guest appearances, you know. <laughs> so I look forward to that, yeah. So I guess most people know you for your, for your comedy, mm. really. Like, mm. I mean, how does... Is running a great compliment to the work you do? I think so because it kind of... It keeps you... As you do stand-up comedy for a long time, 
people tend to fall away because they uh, the lifestyle tends to be unhealthy. I mean, the hours are unhealthy. There's a lot of driving late at night, and it can be you can eat eat rubbish. Obviously, there's loads of drink, and there's loads of other of other other supplements early on in careers that, that tend to uh, truncate uh, natural um, life. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people get very unhealthy quickly and yeah. just just don't last. They just don't last the, the, the pace of it. I'm hoping to do stand-up comedy for probably the rest of my uh, waking years. You know, I, I really love doing it. And to do that, I'm going to have to be fit. And running really helps that. It also helps mentally because it's like um, running's many things to you, isn't it? It's a therapist. It's it's a mate. It's a laugh. It's It can really drive you hard sometimes. And it can really – it can be your best mate, you know. So – I just, I just really, I just really need it and value it. And it can also be very creative. I mean, I don't run round with a with a pen and paper, but I understand people who do. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can work out problems, you can have creative breakthroughs. Especially because a lot of my running, when I'm not in the track, is really long, slow sort of forest stuff. I mean, I just love. That's where I'm happy is running slow through the woods, really. Yeah. So when you go on tour, then you, I presume your your trainer is one of the first things that you pack, and you're looking for running routes. And absolutely, I go out, and I, I mean, I, I do a lot of stuff around the world with old uh, McIntyre. So we, we do like arenas around the world, and I'm always running around Norway through the through the mountains. Or in Melbourne, they've got that little. Uh, the, God, the, it sounds the, awful, isn't it? I know it's I know it's I know it's really really <laughs> it's bad. Tough life, for really me. bad. Uh, and we, I w- went for a run through Central Park recently because we're in New York or Melbourne. There's that little run around the park. I've forgotten what it's called now, but it's a timed run around the park, which is really nice. It's it, it's it's a way of exploring as well, isn't it? When you go when you go around the world. I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. go around the world. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Is it very, very lucky to do it? Just strap on and go for a run, not know where you're going to go. And just come back forty-five minutes later, just refreshed and with more of an insight into where you are, which is good for your gig as well. You get a feel of the place, yeah. and you get, and you feel fit. And so, what do your? You just said that um, it's generally quite an unhealthy industry, or can be. So, what do your fellow comics make of it, McIntyre or whoever else? Do they think you're? Do they think you're bonkers? Well, I, I think that. I mean, Michael rarely exercises. Right. Uh, <laughs> he jogs around the stage. So he's, I think he, do, he probably does a few miles every gig. He do, he's very he's, he's very fluid on stage. A lot of them realise that they have to do something. There's a lot of couch to 5Kers out there. There's a lot of people starting to get into yeah. running. Um, there sort of tends to be two schools. There's the kind of completely nihilistic... Um, let's just eat whatever we want and still and still you know party. I use that term loosely um, for as long as possible. And then there's a there's a more fit and healthy ones. So it tends to be a bit of a divide. And the and the younger comics are all really fit and healthy. So it's a generational it, thing. It, it, there is a generational right. thing. I mean, I came through sort of in the nineties, sort of the boom years, and. Uh, it was like being in some sort of film or something. It was like it was so debauched, um, and uh, it just like you'd go and do a gig in Watford, and it would be like Vegas or something. I mean, everyone would be partying like, like twenty-four hour party people. Everyone would yeah. be going absolutely mad. It's like we're in Watford. We haven't made it. We're just we're just doing a gig in Watford. This is my Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it was like that. But with uh, you know the, the people around uh, then who are around now tend to be the healthy ones. This is the Runner's World podcast. So I've been um, reading uh, your columns, All right, uh, as yeah. I'm, I'm sure lots of people listening have, and uh, one of the ones that I thought was particularly amusing was essentially runners who annoy me. All right, yeah, that, uh, that was... A couple of months ago. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't so long ago, that one, wasn't it? Yes. And I realised when I started writing it that there was going to be loads more, that I was only scratching the surface of, of, well, of, the, of the phenomena, really. Let's talk about a few of the ones that you talked about. The first up is the breathers. And this right. isn't just people who breathe. You do say it's in your column. It's, it's people who breathe in this kind of slightly <laughs> overdramatic way. <laughs> 
no, no. It's, it's those types, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, we all like to breathe. And they're all going to, you're going to breathe, how are you going to breathe? But it's just, the, it's, the, you know, it's the torturous breathing of it, isn't it? Do you, Do you think they're I mean? putting it on a bit? I, I, to be honest, I don't know. It feels like they're being chased. It feels like they're extras in some horror film. Are they just showing us that they're, you know, is there a showing off element, maybe, that they're trying harder than the rest of us? I don't know. I mean... I, I really don't know. I just know that it always inspires me to uh, run faster, so I'm, not, <laughs> so I'm not within earshot. And they do tend to be the ones who finish going, yes, yes, <laughs> clutching their, their fists and looking at their garments. Yeah. Uh, another one of the ones you put that really uh, resonated with me, actually, was uh, the runners who loudly thank the marshals. So thank you, Marshall. But, that, but, was, but, that was generous spirit of you, Paul. But, but, yeah. but, but I'll, I'll tell you what, this came up, this was actually... Um, Rob Deering, you know, we, we do a, the, the podcast running commentary and uh, and we record it while we're running and Rob's a keen runner and, you know, it, it's, it's just really nice, relaxing. That was actually his observation of, like, obviously it's great to thank the Martians. Yes. They're, ama- they're amazing. And without volunteers, we won't be there. But I think it's because when you're running next to someone saying that, they've got the energy to do it and you haven't. I, I kind of do a sort of pathetic wave and a grunt. And, thank you, Marshall. Thank you for your time, Marshall. They just seem to have too much energy. Um, <laughs> but having said that, I am actually marshalling my first race on Sunday. Oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm doing the Crouch and 10K, so I'm, 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 I'm going to insist on a thank you, Marshall, from yeah. everyone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Will you be thanking your Marshall? <laughs> <laughs> Rick, I feel at this point we should we should have one from you on on what gets your goats. Well, actually, yeah. it's a little bit similar to, mm. um, and I'd say I'd say they're the coasters. So these are the people, mm. normally men, right. who are, who have obviously consu- um, conserved an unheroic amount of energy, right. for the final hundred meters of right. the race. Yeah, 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 yeah. And their sprint finish is is not just a great sprint finish. It'd be a great like it's probably their hundred meter sprint yes. finish. Yes, yes, yeah, like, yeah. What are you doing back there? Like, yeah, 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 spread yeah, yeah. your effort a little more evenly yes. over the race, and then yeah. if you can muster a genuine sprint finish, I'll be the first to applaud you. But no. don't don't do it. No, you're no, right. No, you're right. This, again, I think what we tend to be talking about here is any kind of showboating, any kind of playing to the gallery. I mean, we all know running races is hard, and we all like a good, honest effort. And if you're doing a good, honest effort, you shouldn't have anything left at the end. You shouldn't really be making too much noise. And you, you shouldn't be able to thank the marshal. I mean, yeah. you, know, you should be absolutely stretched with all your focus on being as quickly as, as possible. But, you know. I I mean, maybe we're kind of stymied a little by our nationality. The thought yeah. strikes that if we were American, we would, probably wouldn't be having this conversation. No, we'd, we'd probably be whooping and hollering our way to the finish. And f- while thanking the marshal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe it is, yeah. Maybe we're just not fit enough. That's the lesson. Well, I, I think your third one is... I think you're absolutely right about this. Runners who try to overtake me in the shoot. Yeah, I mean, that's just... To be honest, I think a lot of that is sort of inexperience, isn't it? And them not realising that the, that the race is over. It comes down to, again, how tired you are if you've run the race right. If you've run the race right, you can't accelerate down the shoot. It's all over, isn't it? You run to the line. But some yeah. people don't know. But my goodness, I tell them. I, actually, I, will, I, will, I will spread my arms out. I'm not going to let them pass. I will not let them pass. I remember it was one of... Uh, it was a cross-country race I did, uh, the Surrey League, and uh, I I was really, really trying, and I got to the shoot, and I actually threw up. Nice. Around the, just over the shoot. And Thank you, Marshall. A teammate of mine, <laughs> a teammate of mine who I'd finished head off, overtook me in the shoot and got... And was that's outrageous. That's outrageous. outrageous. I never yeah, forgave yeah. him. Yeah, that's outrageous. So, uh, I'll tell you what, cross-country's <laughs> hard, though, isn't it? I started, I started doing it... On, on, I did it loads as a kid, and then I just had a return to it a, a couple of years ago and started doing it ever since. It's so tough, isn't it? Mm. It's got to be so fit to do cross-country well. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I really feel... like it. It's amazing to be fit for cross-country. It's incredible, yeah. isn't it? I feel there's a kind of a, a limit on the, the swankiness of the kit you can wear there as well. You have to kind of 
look a bit old school, yes. grungy, bit muddy. You yes. can't be like all the gear, no idea, rocking up for a seven kilometre. No, 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 no. There's no well, there's, there's people in, in Heathside who, who who just don't respect you if you wear any kind of gloves or sort of hat. No matter what, he's, he's yeah. got to be almost. I mean, when I started when I was a kid, it was almost you didn't wear socks, socks, no sockless spikes, yeah. short shorts, and a vest. Um, but there's zero respect for decompression socks and gloves in in my club for cross country. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bit it's a bit retro, really. It's similar isn't it? to fell running, I guess. It's kind of it's that yeah. same kind of uh, less is more back to basics mm, mentality. Mm, I think. Yeah. Mm. I'd like to do fell running again. It's so, that again. That's really tough, isn't it? Going down, isn't it? Going up, yeah. you can kind of stay with a fell runner, but going down, different stories. Yeah, right? different yeah, set of skills. Yeah. They're just kind of kamikaze, aren't they? Just hurtle yeah. down. Yes. Hill. Yeah. 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 They're, they're courageous. Um, so I think one of the things that uh, some of our readers wanted to know with regards to your columns was uh, how you go about writing them, where you get your inspiration from. And mm. the one thing that I wanted to know is mm. how much does Andy Dixon edit them? Well, be, well, some occasionally there'll be the odd clumsy edit. Most of the time it's fine. <laughs> uh, most of the time it's fine. In terms of inspiration, I tend to get it just while I'm out running and just, um, and, just, and, just and just making notes. And, the, and also... When I chat to comics, I say I'll, I'll do a column about running. They say, oh, what can you what can you do about running? In fact, it's, there's so much you can do and say, and running bleeds into everyday life. There's so many aspects, isn't it? It's sort of, it becomes so part of you. It's just more about your life, really, isn't it? Because if you're always running, then it's always part of your life. So I get it from everywhere. And, and, and the length has wildly fluctuated, actually. It started off about 650 words, and then he said you can do more. So now I've, I'm a bit more... Now I've just thrown anything over 800 and let him do what he's going <laughs> to... Just let him do what he's going to do with it. Yeah. But mostly, mostly the edit's fine. Yeah. We'll let that go. Let's... <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> thank you, editor. I mean, maybe, maybe you should always file with thank you, Marshall. Well, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's become a meme. Are there any... Um, Sort of races on your bucket list, Paul, that you like would absolutely love to do that you haven't done. It's it sounds a bit of a a cliche, doesn't it? But I'd, I would. I'm quite fascinated by uh, the marathon du sable. I'd like to do that. I know ultra runners are like, oh, it's a bit kind of cliche to do the marathon du sable. But I've chatted to a few people who've done it. It just seems quite a nice experience. I like the sort of way that you are kind of you're not on your phone and it's just really basic and it's just. There's something about it that I, I, I chat to Susie Chan a lot, who's obviously she's done it four, four or five times, and she's a massive fan of it. Um, so th- that one I'd like to do. I'd like to do New York. Um, I'm not so bothered about. I'm not that uh, motivated by medals, to be honest. I'm not one of those people who are just de- desperate for medals. I'd just I'd like to do New York, um, and that's that's it really. And just and just fast and just cross countries and nationals and just basic. But as I get older, I will want to do more. Exo- I'd like to do Jerusalem Marathon just because I'd like to go to Jerusalem. It gets more location based then. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I just don't think I'm ever going to be fit enough to do like the big American ultras. I just don't think you know like Susie's trying to do a. She's running a hundred mile race um, this weekend coming, and if she does well in it. The prize is to run another hundred mile race, hey. uh, Badwater, in, yeah. in another really hot race on tarmac for a hundred miles. That's just a different mentality to me. I have to accept that. I, I like I, if I do ultras, it will be trail ultras. It will be through the country. Um, but yeah, th- th- those are the, those are the big two: marathon de Sabre and New York for me. Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, running commentary and the kind of the premise of that? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean. The running commentary, the podcast, it arose very naturally. We, I used to, Rob 
uh, Deering is a comedian and, uh, and runner who used to run more than me, actually. He kind of dragged me back into running. Um, and we started meeting every now and again to go for a run through the woods and just talking and realised that a lot of runners will realise this. The longer you run, the better the chats tend to get to a certain stage, you know, to about an hour and a half. And after that, you get a bit tired and things kind of dry up a little bit because you're too, you're too fatigued. But there's a, there's a kind of golden spot post 40 minutes for about 25 minutes where things feel looser, you're more lucid and funnier and, and honest and philosophical or whatever. And I really enjoyed it. And I just said, why, why don't we just record this and do a podcast? So we did, and it's called Running Commentary, and it's for runners by runners recorded whilst running, which is its, its unique selling point, I suppose. And um, we get guests in, we get runners, we get journalists, we get the odd politician, authors um, who, who like running. And it tends to work. It's very low-key but good fun. We go running, things happen on the run. There's very little editing involved. They, they run anything from 45 minutes to two hours. Yeah. <laughs> they're, re- they're really not bite-sized chunks. We keep meeting with the people who, you know, like Acast, and they say, could you not do, like, you know, 25 minutes and, with, you know, each one 25? And, it's, and we just don't, we're not interested in that. We do long ones. And, uh, and we get really devoted fans who start listening and then just go back and start listening from the beginning. Because so, we've done one a week now for, like, over two years. Yeah. And it, it, it's a very enjoyable thing for me. I think it's really interesting. I'm, I, no, you think carry on this, but the idea that you have good conversations by running, and I think part of it is that you're not looking directly at the person you're talking to because it's less intense. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Same as, as when you're in cars, actually. Mm. I think mm. You have a good conversation in cars for the same reason. That's interesting. But, yeah, yeah. Bit, bit like therapy, isn't it? Some therapy with some some pra- modes of therapy, you face away from your therapist, don't you? Famously, right, fa- yeah. face away from. I've never thought of that. That's a nice idea, and That's... it's the endorphins as well, isn't it? And it's just... it is. Yeah, definitely. I think the act of, of of movement as well. Yeah. So before I was a journalist, I used to work in a variety of sales jobs. Right. And, you know, even from a rookie, you're taught that if you had an important call to make or one that was intimidating, you should stand up Interesting. and you should yeah, yeah. walk back and forth at your desk because that would give you more confidence, it would give you more creativity. Yes. And I think there's there's something with that with the running as well, where, like you said, and you're, you're a bit more, more lucid, well. you're more freeform, yeah. you're just everything's firing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, that was I, I always remember as a kid just going for runs with, with, with club mates and just running for miles and just the chats. So I've, I've always really associated running with talking if I'm with someone yeah, else. I really, yeah. And I really like it. People say, how can you run and talk? Because they, they're more sort of a, a headphone listening to music orientated. But for me, it's either just on my own in silence or with friends talking. I find it very pleasurable. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Paul, thanks so much for, uh, it's for been coming great. on the uh, podcast. Absolutely great really? to, to chat to you about running and cool. uh, we look forward to the next column. Awesome. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> For more from Runner's World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So one of the letters that came into my inbox was from a guy called Simon Flowers, and he wrote in, and I'll read it out. It was, uh, I have come relatively late to running, only starting when I was 60, and I'm now 65. I've been reading, subscribing to Runner's World for most of that time. I find the majority of the articles in your magazine very informative, just the majority. And I'm basing my marathon training program on one of yours. However, I have noticed that many of the training articles say to include technique maybe two or three times a week. For example, the strong arm tactics in the June edition. If I was to do all the recommended exercises, I'd be spending all my time training. But I, and I'm sure the majority of your readers, have other pools on their time and cannot train as much as all the articles would result in. So could you perhaps publish an article that identifies a training plan that takes no more than, say, one hour a day, and that should include running time? I think it's a really interesting question that isn't it because yes people are time poor and they want to do strength and conditioning but they don't want it to take over their life 
do you think we can come good on Simon's uh, Simon's question for well, one thing? Firstly, Simon, I would like to know what the hell you're doing with your time, frankly. When we're not writing at Winner's World, we are doing every single thing that we put in the magazine. Absolutely. I mean, we have no time to sleep, but, you know, <laughs> we get it done. Uh, no, it's a fair point. Um, and actually, it did make us think. So I did a bit of research and I talked to Tom Craggs, uh, a running coach who works with Running With Us, um, and he put me onto something very interesting called Oregon Circuits, um, which is exactly the kind of thing that I think that Simon wants. It's circuit training for runners who are time poor. And they're so named because they were um, named after the University of Oregon, where they were invented uh, or first used in 1983. Um, so I asked Tom to uh, explain why they're so good. And he said this. He said, this is the perfect hit session for runners. It's improved speed, strength, cardio stamina posture and all over fitness and there's no equipment involved it sounds incredible what is it now that, <laughs> that sounds like a good deal doesn't <laughs> yeah, it yeah yeah so for those of you who are interested in taking advantage of this grab a pen and a paper um it's not that complicated don't worry but you do need to make a couple of notes and oregon circuits they can take different forms but this is tom craggs's prescription so rotate through the following movements continuously for eight minutes to make one set um, and those movements are, you need to be near a track uh, or a treadmill. Firstly, run 400 metres at 5k pace, which is kind of 9 out of 10 effort. Then do bodyweight squats times 20, the plank for 20 seconds, 20 alternate lunges, so that's 10 each leg, do a bridge for 20 seconds, and then a static squat where you're just squatting down and not moving for 20 seconds. So rotate through those continuously for eight minutes. That's one set. Do three sets with two-minute rests in between. After a few weeks, Tom says, um, if you're starting to find it easier, which hopefully you will, build up to then to 10 and then 12-minute segments as you progress. Right. So that's, that's pretty good, that's isn't it? That's I mean, pretty good, yeah. No equipment, very easy to do, very quick, um, and with a bit of pedigree because it's from, you know, a fantastic uh, running background, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, there's, you, could, you can do all of those things apart from the 400 metres in your flat and actually... Mm. It strikes me that if you were, if it was peeing with rain outside and you couldn't really get down, you could just furiously run on the spot for ninety seconds yeah, or, or, skip or two or minutes something. or yeah. skip or anything that gets your heart rate up massively. Yeah, um, that could substitute in for the first rep and the rest of it. You don't need anything at all. Do it yeah. while you're watching Emmerdale. I think it's really good. I think body weight stuff is you can do almost everything body weight. The only thing I would say is just and this is personal experience, and I'm not Tom Craggs, a celebrated coach, but I think that. A couple of kettlebell exercises thrown in. So the kettlebell swing, which I think is very good for hips and kind of glutes, yeah. and maybe a weighted squat just to give that kind of that real challenge to your glutes and your uh, quads might make that circuit even more challenging if you do that. Yeah, I think it would. But, uh, you know, also I think this is where we kind of <laughs> we start getting mission creep, don't we? Because, yeah, but then yeah, yeah, there's yeah. this awesome thing and this awesome thing. And, mm. you know, there, there are so many great moves that runners could and probably should do. Mm. But as a kind of lowest common denominator, this is probably as good a uh, a routine as I've found for people mm. who say, I don't have any time and I don't have any money and I don't know what I'm doing. Well, yeah. here you go. There you go. You're yeah, welcome. Well, we will include it in the uh, in the show notes at the end so people can uh, give it a go and uh, and let us know what you think. If you have got uh, other questions similar to Simon's, um, you can email podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. We'd absolutely love to hear from you and what uh, the kind of stuff that you would like to hear uh, more about on the podcast. So I got a letter, actually, um, 
recently, which I thought was probably worth bringing up. Um, from a runner who was who was concerned with uh, quite a good issue actually, which is which is kit for plus size runners. Um, and he said, uh, flicking through a recent issue of Runners World, I immediately skipped ahead to the gear reviews. Lots of it looks great, so I immediately tried to order some of it. Unfortunately, the brands featured uh, suffer from the same issue as a lot of other retailers. There just isn't any gear for sale for plus-size runners. I'm an accomplished 10 to 15k runner, currently training for my first half marathon, but as I have a dreadful diet, I'm still wearing a 3XL or 4XL top. I understand that for more, most runners, that keeping active will mean they are healthier and slimmer and that suppliers have to cater to the majority, but not everyone is. This is even more obvious at organised events where generally the free race T-shirts and the goodie bags are never big enough. Could RW run something about this? Um, name and address supplied. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I did look into this. Um, there is some good news. Unfortunately, I can't come to you guys and go, well, we've discovered you know, loads of brands that will cater for you. Um, when I spoke to, I'm not going to name any names on here, but you know, the usual brands that you would expect and that you associate with the running world, um, you won't be surprised to hear that, um, the issue with this for them is cost. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a simple matter of supply and demand. They don't feel that it's worth their while, um, producing size runs, uh, for bigger runners when there are relatively few of them. Yeah. Um, but a little digging around reveals that uh, there are a few brands uh, who runners can go to. Um, we spoke to Julie Crefield, um, who's uh, kind of a real kind of advocate of, of running for, for plus size people um, and being big and not necessarily deterring you from, from being active. She's she's the founder of a website called twofattorun.co.uk. She sells a range of T-shirts and vests and hoodies, um, all technical. Um but even she says, you know, she struggles to find plus-size suppliers. T-shirts only go up to size 22. Um, she says you have to order in large quantities to make it financial viable and then usually only sell one or two in those sizes. Mm. And this is an interesting point. Also, plus-size runners tend to be self-conscious and therefore quite particular about they want what they want, so it's a difficult market. Yeah, I can see that, for sure. Um, I think if anybody is, is looking for where to get started, um, Nike uh, has a new plus-size range for women which goes from sizes 22 to 30. Um, I think prices start at just under 25 quid for a crew neck T-shirt. Um, there is, there's a women-only uh, brand that just makes leggings, which we featured in the magazine a couple of times. I think they're really cool. They're called Lucy Lockett Loves, um, which, is, which is an odd name. Um, but they go up to size 28. They just make leggings. They're you know, kind of really blingy, bright, flamingos, palm trees, that kind of thing, but they're all technical fabrics. Um, 16 quid for starters for a vest. Um, for chaps, there's a brand called Bad Rhino um, that stocks sportswear in sizes from large to 8XL. Starts at 7 quid for a vest, so that's pretty um, pretty handy on the wallet as well. Um, and a brand called North 56 Degree 4, um, which also goes up to 8XL. Um, it's a little bit more expensive. It's 40 quid for a tech T-shirt, but it is, uh, it is high-spec stuff. Is it reasonable to expect races to supply a wider variety of sizes maybe it is i think well when it comes to race organizing what we've seen i think certainly you and i having mm. been when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm doing this job for a while is that the larger events have the infrastructure to be able to take specific orders from runners in advance. So mm. if you think about, for example, the London Marathon, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you fill out your application, they'll say, what T-shirt size are you? Yeah. If you're doing a smaller race where a lot of the entry fee is going to go back into producing the event for next year or maybe it's going to charity, mm. they obviously have to take a middle ground as to what the most popular size is. Um, that, it's really unfortunate because how many times they received a race T-shirt, we like, that doesn't fit me, and it sits in a drawer forever, or you yeah. give it to a charity shop. But you can understand why it happens. I think until um, a technical brand comes along that supplies the race industry and provides very, very cheap T-shirts where they can afford to mm. buy in all sizes, yeah. I don't think with regards to race day T-shirts that's going to change unless we have a whole system whereby you order yours afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable as well, isn't it? But I think if there are a few brands that actually do specialise in this stuff... Yeah, I mean, great. you know... I, I sympathise, I really do, because if people, if you've trained for a race and you you know you want to wear the t shirt proudly and it doesn't fit, that's you know that's really irritating. Mm. You know, almost as bad as getting you know a dodgy medal when you want you know a really heavy bit of yeah. bling in your hand. But um, yeah, so hopefully those brands are um, of some help. Thank you to the reader for for kind of writing in. It is something we've meant to do something on. I mean, if anyone out there knows of any other brands that they want to recommend, do let us know. This is the Runner's World podcast. Back in 2016, Rob Pope just felt like running. Since then, he's crossed the US four times following the route plotted by Forrest Gump. In doing so, he's clocked up more than 15,000 miles and raised thousands of pounds for a variety of charities. When he's not running across continents, Rob can be found breaking records, most recently at the London Marathon, where he broke uh, the record for the fastest male marathoner in a film character costume, running a blistering 2.36. I caught up with Rob to find out what motivates someone to embark upon such an epic challenge. So what I want to ask to start off with, Rob, I think, is is why? I mean, what what motivated you to uh, to take on the kind of Forrest Gump run of America? Uh, <laughs> is this where I deliver the I just felt like running line? <laughs> Only if you want uh, to. Yeah, man. Like to be honest, I've done it about a thousand times now, and I still can't do the accent. So I think I'm <laughs> going to save people the, uh, the, the the upset of it. But um, 
Yeah, I wanted to run across America for like ages, and you know, when I say ages, I mean like you know, so ten years plus, and right. had read read like books on the subject. But the this run sort of came about just because uh, the, of the desire to do something like pretty special for charity. You know, sort of uh, my mum who's not around anymore was probably the person who got me into running. Mm. Uh, she said, "Do one thing in your life that makes a difference," and. This was it, I thought, you know, and so um, I run in for two amazing charities, which are the World Wildlife Fund and Peace Direct, um, and they stand for the five things that Forrest was asked, was he running for in the film, which are women's rights, world peace, the homeless, the environment and animals. And of course, that's when he gave the line, you know, so, uh, yeah. but I've at least got a, a few courses. I mean, there must have been so many highlights uh during the crossings, are there any that sort of stick in, in your memory more than others? Uh, like, so the, you know, finishing the crossings, each each of the individual ones was like special in its own way. Like Santa Monica, surrounded by friends. The second one was the first I completed on my own, and uh, I had like one close buddy with me, and that was like sort of really atmospheric in the in the fog, and it was just like super cool. And the third crossing I uh, did, I, I ended up like sort of uh, running back and competing in the Oregon State Championships the next day for the 10K, right. uh, which I won. How's about that? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then the fourth one, I was just on my own at sunset. The, the day before, I, I was due to fly back home, and I thought I'd never actually complete that crossing sort of uh, before I needed to go back home. Um, just because of injuries and weather and everything like that. And then, of course, the final crossing was unbelievable just because uh, not only did I get to the famous place in Monument Valley, um, but I also got to propose to my girlfriend, Nadine, as well. And she said yes. That would have been a low light if she'd have said no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But places-wise, you know, um, everything through the desert, like Joshua Tree, Death Valley, you know, obviously home of bad water. Uh, so I ran a good chunk of that course um, through up to like the Glacier National Park in Mon- in Montana, which yeah. is like sort of sort of semi tragic at the same time because it's super beautiful. Uh, but the glaciers of which from which it takes its name, uh, they reckon are going to be there beyond 2030, which lends even more importance to you know me trying to help the World Wildlife Fund out as much as I can to see if we can do something. Yeah, I mean, from a logistics point of view, I mean, were you carrying all your own stuff? Were you camping out? Were you staying with uh, friendly strangers? How did it work? Yeah, it was 50-50. Uh, I started off, like, so my girlfriend was out with me and we, we sort of bought a cheap camper on the sort of the hope that we'll be able to sell it uh, at the end and not be quite as broke as we are because uh, we self-funded uh, probably about 85% of it. Hmm. Um, it's still not sold, by the way. If anybody wants a nice uh, Ford Fleetwood Jamboree, we can, we can send you the details. <laughs> we'll put the link um, at the end of the podcast, Rob, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Um, and when we got to like the middle of Tennessee on the second crossing, we were just pretty much running on fumes. And I said to Nadine, I said, there's no way we're going to get to Maine if, if we carry on like this. And so that's when she had to go home. And I just carried on uh, with Pram Solo, my uh, trusty baby <laughs> stroller, named after sort of the the man himself. Yeah. Because I look a little bit like Chewbacca, so. <laughs> well, you have grown yourself a mighty kind of Forrest Gump esque beard for the uh, for the crossing, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I shaved on September the fourteenth, which is the day of twenty sixteen, the day before I set off. 
Um, and I've just not touched it since. Like occasionally the moustache needs trimming, and um, I think it needs one at the moment, to be honest. But yeah, I've still got the beard and stuff because I feel like I'm almost still on duty with the run because the the charity job isn't isn't uh, complete yet. And I think people like the beard as much as they run it, as much as they run, even if it's not, you know, uh, even if it's not sort of actually on the road anymore, which makes me sad. Well, you, you also found time to, uh, to come and run the London Marathon this year um, and, and break the record uh, for the fastest, uh, is it male, uh, film character? That's the one, yeah. Fa- fa- I think it's just fastest film character full stop. Just a, just a 2.36 for you, which isn't, isn't bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah, uh, it was a really big surprise because the, the way I ran in, in America, it was just such a, you know, a gentle, you know, it was all about injury avoidance. You know, I, I probably ran quickly about three or four times, Oregon, Boston Marathon, uh, but that was like, sort of not as quick as, as the London one, um, especially because I had a beer halfway around. Um, and then well, you ran you I, ran 2.36 having a beer halfway around? Oh, no, that was a, a Boston I had a I beer. Say, yeah, right. I did 2.58 at Boston, but my plan originally uh, there was to just basically bimble round in whatever time, high-five the kids, you know, sort of, and uh, just enjoy the brilliant Boston crowds. And I got to about mile 16, and I thought, God, I feel all right here. And I thought, I had my phone because I've been taking photos, and I got my calculator out, and I was just like, what time do I need to do to get under three hours? And so I'd been doing about 7.30, and I was like, right, okay, 6.08. So I did one mile like that, and it felt okay. Did the second like that, and I thought, I'm going to give this a go. <laughs> and I was doing 5.40s by the end, I think. So um, somebody pointed out that sort of if I'd have carried on doing my, you know, increasing my splits at that pace, if I'd have done a normal 40-mile day, I would have broke the world mile record. So, you know. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I mean, what, what's what's next, Rob, for you? Like, when you come back from doing, like, an amazing challenge like that, is it is there a kind of, do you get kind of post, it wasn't a race, but a kind of post-race blues? Do you, do you feel like, what can fill that space? I haven't really had the chance, you know, because um, I came back sort of, you know, when I did London Marathon, the reason why I came back was because my baby daughter was being born. Mm. Um, so I'm, like, doing as much of that as I can. But, you know, sort of when we got back, you know, literally broke. And so, yeah. I, you know, I started, I landed on the Monday and I started work on the Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, it's just still taking stock, but... You know, I haven't run this tonight. It's going to be the first run since I've got back, which is which is awful. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I've entered Berlin um, in September, and right. so I'm going to try and see if I can go pretty quick in that, and then um, follow that on with a, a cheeky marathon day start next April as well. Oh, yeah, nice little kind of walk in the desert. Sounds good. Well, you mentioned your um your day job there because it's that, it's interesting. I mean, you're you're a kind of qualified vet, Rob, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, and so um, I, I use my skills a slight degree on the run because we managed to actually find a, a stray dog uh, yeah. when we were in Arkansas, and she was uh, in a pretty bad way, but still, you know, still wagging. Uh, but between ourselves and the local community, we managed to rehome her, and now she lives uh, pretty much by the start of the Boston Marathon up in uh, up in Massachusetts. So that was sweet. oh, that's great. Yeah, using your skills on the road. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sort of, uh, and you know, we almost caught scabies off her because she was uh, <laughs> she was pretty fruity, you know. Sort of, um, yeah. It was just that was just a real nice moment. That could actually still be my highlight. The whole thing, you know, something that I do day to day, and I go across America, and it's still my highlight. Yeah, that's pretty good. That I mean, I was going to ask you. I mean, 
With the Forrest Gump run, everyone knows Forrest Gump, you know, loved running and all the rest of it. But the actual details of the trip are, I mean, how much research did you have to do and how much was actually, did you have to kind of imagine when it came to retracing his footsteps? Yeah, it was mostly stealing other people's bits of research, really. Like, I I knew about the rough route for, for years and... There's a figure of 15,248. number of ones have been mentioned. I think BuzzFeed said 13,900. Another article said 19,000. And so I looked into that 19,000 figure, and it's just far too big, you know, because he doesn't do five crossings of the states. It's only four and three quarters. Right. And the, the, my longest crossing, which was a very circuitous route, was 4,000. So I, I sort of figured, well, if I go for the middle figure... Um, and I completed that like probably about 300 miles before the end. Um, so I had like a little private finish for myself because I knew that the uh, that the actual finish itself was going to be madness, and and it was like sort of those news crews, um, yeah. like so many of the local population uh, turned out to see us. Like so if one of the one of the head guys at Garmin was just jogging down the road, and he like see <laughs> he asked me in a in his French accent, what is going on? And I just said, this is happening. And he was just so, oh, man, I'm telling my wife and I'm coming running with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had about, like, sort of 30, 40 people running at the end and, you know, double that watching. Um, it was great. It was like, it was it was, it was real sort of film moment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, obviously I needed to get the various outfits in place, so I've watched sure. that scene about 100 times. <laughs> Um, and then sort of just little bits like finding some niche locations to to do it. Like the first time I ran to uh, I, I ran to Grandfather Mountain, which is where the uh, famous Forrest Gump curve is. And I, when I got there, they'd had a dump of snow the night before, and so they closed the mountain. Right. But I wasn't going to let it beat me. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the um, at the end of the run, I flew to Atlanta, drove six hours to that uh, to where I'd like to have you know had to pause, and I was just like, I'm getting up this mountain, <laughs> and I did so. Very good. <laughs> I wonder how you feel when you see the film. Do you feel like you've kind of been kind of communing with Forrest for the last few years? Yeah, I tried to channel my inner Forrest on the run. <laughs> I think that's the reason why sort of uh, everybody's like sort of you know bought into the run so well yeah. because he's you know he's just an, the ultimate nice guy. He doesn't judge anyone mm. like whether it's background race, whatever you know. So he just sort of you know he just treats people nicely and in the meantime does some incredible things. So. Even when I've felt pretty lousy, I've always tried to run with a smile on my face. And, um, you know, people have responded to that, I feel. Yeah, it sounds like you were treated um, very, very well in the States. I mean, were you, were you surprised by kind of how hospitable people were about your about your challenge? I wasn't necessarily surprised because everybody sort of, you know, there's there's obviously the, the hospitality culture there. You know, there's the phrase, isn't the Southern hospitality? Yeah. But I was actually wondering how much of it was going to be real and how much it was going to be the fake have a nice day stuff. Mm. But, you know, like sort of, uh, people just wanted to help you. They're very sort of personable and, you know, sort of, the, you know, they want to see like, you know, what you're doing, like, and if there's anything they can do, you know, even if they had no interest in the run. I'd be running down the road and someone would pull up and go, hey, buddy, do you need a ride? And I'd be like, oh, thank you, mate, but I'm, you know, sort of not allowed. Yeah. Um, and um, I reckon if I'd have taken those rides up, I probably could have been done in about three months, <laughs> the amount of time it, uh, that it happened. 
But like people took me into the houses, you know, fed me, bought me beers, uh, you know, sort of, you know, people you know, gave me like sort of, you know, they'd shake my hand and there'd be cash in the handshake and wow. people like, oh, thanks very much. Yeah, a lady like sort of a uh, really poor area in Arizona, like sort of a uh, you know one of the inverted commas trailer camp places. First of all, she offers me an umbrella in the rain. And I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm okay actually. I can't really carry it. She comes back 20 minutes, pretty much with the contents of a penny jar for me. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, yeah, it's just real little things like that. If people want to find out more about the challenge, Robin, and uh, help you raise money for, for the charities, where, where can they go? Is it the website? or? Yeah, like there's a virgin uh, money-giving link on the website. It's just a big button saying donate, and there's even a little a crude exchange rate if you want to donate from <laughs> Australia or, or Europe or America. Uh, and so, like my my target on those fifty thousand, but like deep down, I'm secretly going to be sad if I don't raise a hundred. I just figure it's like the biggest, pretty much it's the biggest biggest fast run of its type, I think, sort of apart since uh, Girard. Uh, and so, yeah, I reckon we can do hundred k there. And remind us what the website is, Rob. It's it's goingthedistancerun.com. Okay, great. Well, look, congratulations, Rob, again on the. Uh... Such an incredible challenge, and uh, whatever you do next, we'll, we'll, um, we'll look at it with interest. Thanks very much. Well, well the big thing is, you know, Steve, in, the, in, in Forrest Gump, you know, Steve, uh, Jenny shows him a picture of the Runner's World front cover, yeah. and it's for, Forrest running that, so come on, guys, you've got to give me that cover shot. We'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Brill. Right, cheers. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks for a good photo. Cheers. All right, cheers. Bye. Yeah, bye. For more from Runner's World... Head to runnersworld.co.uk. So this Saturday is the night of the 10,000 metre PBs. Uh, for those of you yet to hear about this event, it started in 2013 by Highgate Harriers Ben Pochi to get people excited once more about the 10,000 metre distance and about track running in general. Uh, it takes place at Parliament Hill Athletics Track and this year will be uh, run in conjunction with the European 10,000 metres cup. Uh, one of the many things that makes the event so exciting is that the crowd are literally on the track uh, cheering on from lane three. We're both huge fans about this, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, beer and running, what's not to like? Mm. Um, as long as you don't get them in the wrong order or get the <laughs> wrong people doing the wrong thing. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants Joe Peavy, you know, swinging a beer in, in lane three while I'm waddling around <laughs> on the inside. That could be a, maybe well, next that could year. be a winner, yeah. Next year, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I think at a time when when everyone in track and field up to Seb Coe has been saying that athletics needs to be made more attractive to the masses, it needs to be brought out of um, its slightly kind of more traditional niche um, and people needing to be reconnected more with the sport. I think, you know, this is is only a very small corner of that, only a small starter if you like, but I think it's definitely a fantastic example of the way to go. Yeah, and, you know, last year there were 7,500 fans. So yeah. there's a real appetite for this. You know, it's, it's kind of... And it's growing all the time. 2018 on Saturday will be, I'm sure, more popular, and, and next year more popular still. It's uh, Yeah, I mean, I think we should probably actually clarify for the listeners that um, it is a serious race. Mm. Oh, there yeah. are the nation's top 10,000-metre runners taking uh, taking part and competing against each other. Um in the past, it's been used as a qualification event for world championships and Olympics. Um, the, the difference is, as Rick said earlier, you know, instead of being up in the stands, kind of like waving foam fingers and stuff, you are, you are, you could touch the runners if you wanted to. You are that close to them on the track, and it really adds something to 
So the atmosphere, both for you and for the runners, who I think are really galvanised by oh, it. I think so, yeah. It's very yeah. popular from their point of view. Yeah, I think you get lots and lots of PB, so it comes good on the on the title of it. And I mean, it's a little bit like, you get it in the Tour de France, don't you? You know, people on the yeah. course, you know, and some of those people aren't behaving uh, as well as they might. But I think that kind of, that kind of excitement, um, we, we just don't see it in, in track running, do we? So I think it's a really good move. And it'd be interesting to see if it spawns other similar events, I mean. Yeah, I think probably there will be. I mean, I'm not aware of any others around the world, but uh, I'm sure there are one or two. But if it can gain enough traction and just get race organisers, even up to, you know, even at, I think at the level of the Diamond League, where they start thinking about how they're presenting their products, and at the end of the day, it is a product yeah. to the masses, um, it, could, it could be really big. If you look at other sports, obviously cricket developed 2020. Mm. Um, another athletics initiative was... Uh, they had the Nitro Games in Melbourne, didn't yeah, they, last year? Yeah, exactly. Which, which I think was an IAAF initiative, and they had—I might be wrong about this—but I think the idea was they had athletes competing in events that weren't theirs. Yeah. So, like Usain Bolt throwing the javelin and mm. stuff like that, as well as their own thing. And each athlete would do a few events, and it's just—it's obviously more light-hearted. It's not about fortune and medals and stuff, but it enables the athletes to show another side of themselves yeah. and the crowd to be engaged and everyone to just have a bit of fun. And I think if you're trying to attract a younger generation, this is the way to go. And I can imagine if you took your, your kids along to Parliament Hill to watch this, it's a bit like fathers would talk in the old days about being taken to their first football match by their dad and they remember the smells, the sounds, the atmosphere and, you know, who knows what that could spawn in the future in terms of future champions. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, running up close like that, it is dramatic. It, there is theatre in there. I mean, there's people really, really trying. It could, could be a great race. Hopefully, you know, the, the lead could, could change around a little bit. I think actually... There's a there's this view of track running as being quite not bloodless but being quite clinical, and I yeah. think something like this is is shows the kind of human um, and the kind of excitement of these events. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, when you're that close, you can you can hear the wheezing, you can see the kind of the the strain in their yeah, eyes. Exactly. You start. Yeah. You don't have to be a running aficionado, aficionado to spot things like you know their gait starts to go, they start rolling around mm. a little bit, any tripping that's going on, which you can't normally see when when you're up in the stands. It, you know, it's quite exciting. Yeah, I think so. I think there's also, um, I think it's Strava who've put on uh, a special mile event, which is, involves slower runners being chased down by a chaser. So, that, so you, I think that they you go off with a slight head start and then the chaser comes in and the idea is the chaser, as soon as he touches you, you're you're out. So it's just like a big game of tag, basically. Like a huge game of tag, yeah. So that's, 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 that's a great it's idea. Quite, yeah, it's quite fun, isn't it? Again, it's in a way of kind of reinvigorating, like, track running. Yeah, so, especially um, as the chaser dresses as some kind of Scooby-Doo villain with, like, a sheet over them or we'll, something. We'll, we'll call Strava up and see what we yeah. can do, so we can arrange. <laughs> this is the Runner's World Podcast. So this month on the podcast, we have an interview with BBC newsreader Sophie Rayworth, who some of you may know... Um, is a very keen runner. That wasn't always the case. She's been running for about 10 years. Um, she's worked her way up through the distances uh, and last month fulfilled an ambition of doing something very crazy, which was running the Marathon de Saab across the Sahara. So we caught up with her to find out what went on there. Now you've had a few weeks to um, to let everything percolate. How does it... What are your thoughts on it? Did you um, believe you did it? Um... I, it was it was the most extraordinary experience I've ever been through. I think um, the complete 
terror beforehand. So it was such a big build-up because I signed up to it 18 months ago, and then every time you have to pay deposits and you have to pay a bit more, and every deadline I paid on the last, the very last minute I could pay, and every time I thought, am I really going to do this? And maybe I'll pull out. And then about a week before I went, I was so frightened about going um and i just it was the complete fear of the unknown and could i do it and um i haven't got a good history of running in heat and was i going to collapse and was it going to be a disaster and i've got three children and what am i doing and was i going to die <laughs> it was it was complete i got very extreme and i didn't really say it to anyone except to one of my makeup ladies at work about four days before i left and I just said, I think, I was getting hot and cold, and I said, I think, I think maybe I should pull out. And they were all looking at me like, really? Um, and I kind of said that to my husband in, in a roundabout way about two days before I left. I wanted him to basically say, this is not a responsible thing to do. You are a mother with three children. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh, why are you doing this? And when I kind of, in a roundabout way, sort of tried to get him to say that, he looked at me and he went, you've done all the training. Of course you're going. And then I went, I promise this is my last big adventure like this. And he looked at me and he went, what are you talking about? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so I was really, it didn't, didn't let me off the hook, hook at, all. at all. So, so but if he had said, look, darling, please don't go, would you, would I, you honestly have pulled out? No, of course I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I would have been le letting too many people down because I'd signed up to do it with... Um, with a friend from work, and then Susie Chan, who I run with all the time, she had then said she was coming, and her husband was coming, and then another friend of ours called Tim Jones was coming, and a couple of others. There were there were seven of us going, and there was no, yeah, at the last minute, there was no way I could pull out. But it was just that, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. And I was, I mean, even when we arrived there, we flew into Wazazat and I sat next to Susie on the coach. I think she realised because she sort of left her husband and came and sat next to me. <laughs> and I was having this complete sort of meltdown. What, what was I doing? Where was I going? And you have a six-hour journey into the desert. Yeah. And then you arrive at the camp. And actually, once I got to camp... And I knew where I was. I was okay. I was okay. You kind of, you just have to take it day by day. Um, but it was, it was the most extraordinary experience. It was, it was far more than I ever thought it was going to be. It was, um, you know, it, it was really tough. It is tough. Um, okay, so from the outside, there'll be there'll be lots of readers of, of Runners World who know all about the MDS and they've read about it in our magazine or other magazines and they think I could do that. What is it that makes it so different once you once you're actually there? I think it's 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 all it's a lot of it's the camp life actually. That's what I wasn't expecting, and the camp life is is as as important as the running and the and and also the. I think in terms of the running, the scenery is something I just never thought it would be. I just I kind of just thought flat desert, flat desert. It was, but it was just. So varied and so beautiful, and you know, jebels, the mountains, and yeah. um, and these great salt plains and dried riverbeds, and um, it was spectacular. It was, I mean, some of it I can see why these film directors go there. The, some of it looked like Mars. It just was yes. spectacular to look at. 
Um, it was hot. I don't think it was as hot as it has been in past years. Oh, a couple of days were really hot, but we had like one day when it was actually quite quite cold. Um, it was hot. That was tough. The the terrain really took me by surprise because I know this sounds ridiculous, but Susie Susie had said to me, "It's not that sandy. I mean, a lot of it's quite hard, and you're running on rocky ground, which is true." Um, but, I mean, day one we went out and it was just non-stop sand dunes, which is very difficult to run in. And obviously living in London, I haven't got great experience of running in sand dunes. No, um, I would imagine kind of uh, some of the sand in Hyde Park plus a few hill reps up Primrose yeah, Hill is about your limits, that, isn't it? That, that's, you basically hit, hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I've done. A bit of sand in Hyde Park. Um, <laughs> so that was that was a bit of a surprise. And, you know, day one... We was really tough and hard on our legs and you kind of thought my god I've got I've got you know days and days more of this but it's it's the camp life as well which is extraordinary because you you know you get up every morning you go you leave at 8 8 30 and you go off we were we were out there for between four and six hours most days apart from the long stage and you get back in the early afternoon and they give you your water and your brown plastic bags, which are very fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you go back to your tent and you just literally lie down and you don't move. And it got to the point, you're so tired, you're physically exhausted, but it got to the point where um, there was a, a black bin liner on one of the poles of our tent, which was about two feet from where I was lying and in the, Susie and I actually ended up having a, a sub bin because we couldn't make the effort to get to the bin so we had to have a little bin right next to us <laughs> so that we didn't have to get up to go to the dustbin so there, were no, there were no games of cards or I no. spy or you have to carry to cards. You. you can't. That's that's grams. That's grams carry. You can't. You know anything. That's true. Anything you take with you, you're you're. But before I left, Susie came over here, and she's obviously done it three times before. Sure. And she and I sat up in one of the, up in the, my study up in my house, and we were weighing, literally weighing my shorts, my spare pair of shorts. Was it too heavy at forty or whatever they were, fifty grams? Was that going to be too heavy? You know, it's all, it, it becomes obsessive about the grams so you that you're carrying. So kind of like sawing your toothbrush in half to get an all Yeah, kind of had all that, sawed my toothbrush in half. Um, I mean, you carried the minimum. I had my luxury item was a, was a blow-up pillow, which Susie thought was excessive. And I took a pair of flip-flops, uh, which she didn't complain about too much but that as it turned out i was the only one who had flip-flops so everybody else used my flip-flops i could see why they didn't complain <laughs> oh yes i bet they thought well we'll just use sophie's we'll use her exactly. as the back heel to get them round, and we'll take advantage but it was you know we just we'd come back you come back from your run and you just like you'd clear the stones and you'd lie down on the on the on the tent floor there were eight of us in the tent and you'd just come you know sleep or you'd you know try and repack your bum pack your bag re, you know wash i tried to wash my running kit out or rinse it out because you're i mean i didn't have a shower for nine days you are filthy dirty yeah. um 
So you try and rinse your kit out and hang it up. You do all that. And then you just lie there. And actually, we just lay there and we laughed. We, there was so much banter and laughter. You don't really leave your tent. I had visions of going to the MDS. And I speak French, and I love it. It's a French race. And I thought, oh, I can speak lots of French. It'll be great. <laughs> I didn't leave my tent. <laughs> I spoke to the seven other people in my tent for a week, and that was it. Um, so, no, it was, wow. it was incredible. Fantastic. And so, going on from that now, what's, mm -hmm. what's next? Are you going to go up into the mountains for an alternative, or is that you done with ultras? Or? Uh, I've not, you know, well, I'm going to race some horses. I'm off to do man v horse. So, ah, okay. Uh, That'll be quite funny. Um, that's in June. Yeah. So a racing. I'm, I, do you know? I don't. I don't even know what I'm doing. I've no idea anything about it. I just. I've been told I'm racing horses. So um, I'm. I'm still running and training and everything. So I can run the. It's 22 miles in the Brecon yep. or near the Brecon Beacons or in the. I don't even know where it is. Yes. Um, I think there are 50 horses under. The, I think they set them off and. Um, 15 minutes after us, and we have to try and keep ahead of them. And it's not, you, you'd think that they could beat you, but they get pulled off the course every every once in a while because they need to be checked over. And also, I think they find it hard going downhill or something. So I'll see how many horses I can beat. Um, and then I haven't really got anything. I mean, I'm doing the Great North Run, and I'm going to do London Marathon again next year. And um, I haven't actually got anything lined up. I'm sure I will have, but um, the opportunities will uh, will present themselves. Um, so, yeah, uh, hopefully. So you've said in the past that Brendan Foster got you into into running originally. I think 2011 or something like that. Did you, has there ever been a point, particularly in the NDS, where you thought? Bloody hell, Brendan! I hate you. What have you got me into here? No, I loved it. That was yeah. I. No, Brendan. Brendan was 2006 was the year after my second child, and they they asked me to go and run the Great North Run, and um, I did it really just to you know lose some baby weight. It was a challenge. I thought, I wonder if I can do this. And my husband at the time was running as well, and he he doesn't he plays a lot of squash. He can't run anymore, but he um he was running. So we both went and did it together, and I loved it actually. I really enjoyed it. But I could never ever imagine turning around and doing the, doing it again and doing a marathon. And it took me quite a long time. It took me for another sort of five six years before I actually plucked up the courage to do a, a full marathon um but no i that i mean must running funny now you must think god oh, that's nothing and yeah, i know well, half marathon now is like it's great it's a sort of nice distance to run because i can, you know i do that my train you know, i ran 10 miles on sunday it's a sort of training run now um but uh, no I've, I've never ever not for one minute have i ever regretted taking up running i love it it's yeah complete it's such a release and it makes me really happy in a really basic way it just uh, you know I'm, you get all the endorphins obviously yeah. and i love this the, i love that it's the one sport for me anyway that you know the older i get the faster i get i got i got a part run pb 2 weeks ago i couldn't believe it um <laughs> And I was thinking, you know, what other sport can you do that? Um, yeah, that's very true. So does that mean you're going to try and get faster at the shorter distances, or are you just kind of going to go? You know me quite well, crazy. Kerry, don't you? <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, yes. Yes, a little bit. Yes. yes. 
<laughs> I'm going to, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to try and do now. I'm going to keep, um, yeah, I'm running. I've lost quite a lot of weight, actually, when in the desert. I left quite a lot behind. I didn't really, you, you know, you just cannot carry the food that you need to, to replace the calories. Yeah. So I've come back lighter and faster. I don't know where, I don't know if the, the two are, uh, you know, equate or whether it is entirely that or whether it's just a sort of confidence thing. But I've definitely, oh, definitely come back. Quite. They definitely equate, don't they? I know. Um, so I've come back quite a lot faster than I was when I left. Before you know, before before I left. Um, so I'm enjoying that. I've had two park run PBs in two weeks. I might go and try and do another one. Wow. Um, and uh, no, it's it's sort of. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concentrate on a bit of speed, I think, now, and see if Summer I can keep speed. doing that. Keep holding yeah. your fitness. So, do your exactly. kids? Do your have your kids been inspired by you, or do they think you're bonkers? They think I'm bonkers. They definitely think I'm bonkers. They call me crazy mum all the time. But they, two of them, have, I mean, my all three children are really sporty, and my right. two younger ones, my in fact, my my twelve year old is running in the English England nationals schools nationals today, running right. fifteen hundred meters. So she's 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 whacking out a five and a half minute 1500 meters at the age of 12 so she's doing all right and uh, and my son who's 10 runs um, I had a very bad parenting moment uh, last weekend because I did my part run PB and I beat his PB by one second and it was that moment when you think do you say anything or do you not (laughs) so what did you do I said something I told him I had to buy him an ice cream and uh, afterwards and then but he was very funny about it actually because I said it's great it's great don't worry because we will go and run part run together I'm only a second faster that's fantastic parenting as far as I'm concerned I know A is something for you to do together and B is teaching him that you know life is tough life is tough your mother is going to be yeah. no, I, he was very funny though I said I said it's great we can run it together and he looked at me raised his eyebrows gave me the most sarcastic look and went run it together yeah as in I'm going to absolutely thrash you next <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, I'm clinging on to my part run PB for my one second for as long as I can. So let's let's envisage you're running together at park run, you're coming up to the finish line, you're neck and neck, you can see he's straining to beat you. As a mother, what do you do? If we're neck and neck, I'll let him go. If we're neck and neck, I'll let him go. No, I would let him go. He's only 10. That's that's a bit brutal. If we're (laughs) neck and neck, I'll let him go. If if he's, you know, moaning about it a mile from the finish and I'm going really fast... I might let him. I might might let him. Uh, you know, I might. I might put the afterburners off. on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's so competitive, though. He's never. He's, he'll. He'll keep up. He'll definitely. He's. He's fast. He's good. Cool. Um, and just finally, you're quite vocal on social media about your love of medals. Oh my love! Um, yes, yes, yes. So, what's your favourite one that you've received, and which one would you love to get in the future? Oh, that is a good question. My favourite one. Um, my favourite one. Do you know? I don't know. I've got. I. I. I love. I'm thinking that the ones that are going through my head are my London Marathon ones. I love my London Marathon ones every year. Mm-hmm. Um, my six-star finisher one. That was the combombination uh, of that yes. and the Chicago medal. I love the. Cl- 
twanging because when you you can always hear the people who've done the, the all the with the world majors when you get your six star medal so you get your medal for the marathon so yeah. we, mine was chicago yeah and then you get the other one on top um and then walking around they clang together and you can just tell the people who've, who've finally done their six world majors um so that's very special that one um and i also really liked my london classics medal which is the one where they the the london marathon people have this new medal which is if you do the london marathon ride 100 and swim serpentine you have to do yeah. two miles around swim serpentine i'm not a swimmer at all and that is how much i love a medal i'm i'm actually <laughs> made myself swim in open water for two miles i was really slow um just to get this medal but it's huge it's a really good medal so i'm quite proud of that one too yeah good and in future if you could wave a magic wand and have the athletic ability to do any event in the world what's top of your bucket list um oh any athletic event in the world oh i don't know i'd love to be really i'd love to be what what i can go i can be really fast as well with my magic wand or, well, or is it yes. just to go and do anything? I'd love to do an amazing track race and do, you know, do a sort of Mo Farah, uh, you know, 5K around the on track would be incredible. That sort of sense. Of, I love watching them and the speed is incredible and just the sort of exhilaration to be able to run at that kind of pace. Um, but in terms of big races, I'm I'm actually kind of. I actually, at the moment, really just enjoy going out into the countryside and the trails and the um, just kind of discovering new places. I mean, I like I I'm, I can see the UTMB is in my head, but I'm not sure I can um, I'm not sure I can cope with the UTMB and it's sort of two nights of no sleep and you get to the finish and there is no medal. That is really slightly playing with my mind. There, you get a gilet not a medal so uh that's true I, however recently i know the uh the comedian rob deering sent you uh, a homemade medal because you lent him a pair of socks for the London <laughs> it's on my medal you rack have, you, yeah you could have you know your <laughs> husband and kids there with a especially uh commissioned utmb medal for you i know but it's not the same if it's not from them is it and you know oh you can make your own medal that's a bit sad um yeah so i oh, i don't know i haven't i've i'm sort of i've got the i've got it on pause my my big races is a bit on pause at the okay, moment. i think so. i need also need my family need a bit of time to get over the the whole mds yes, thing you know so park run for now Great. Part run, <laughs> part run, Great North Run. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go yeah. for it, the Great North Run. Go for it. I'm gonna try and do one more London Marathon PB next year. I'm gonna see if I can, if I've got that in me. Oh, what's that? So you've got your PB's 328 at the moment, isn't it? 29, 329. So I quite like to go see if I can go faster. I'd like to go sort of three. Susie and I want to go sort of 3.20, or she wants to go sub 3.20. I'd quite like to go. I don't think I can do that. I don't know. My Garmin says I can. My Garmin reckons I can do a 3-hour 15 marathon. My Garmin is a bit deluded, but I think I could probably do 3.24, 23. I don't That's know. That's very precise. 
Yeah, no, I'm, go I'm getting... I'm <laughs> getting good at calibrating your own uh, level of ability. Exactly. Um, so I'll see, I'll see if that's possible or not. Um, but I'm just going to keep enjoying it. I love it. Really, really kind of... Uh, it's really important in my life now. So that brings us to the end of this month's episode of the Runner's World podcast. I want to say a big thanks to our guests, Sophie, Rob and Paul, and to Scramble Studios in Soho where this was recorded. Yeah, and if you want to get any more from Runner's World, head to the website, runnersworld.co.uk. Um, and if you want to get hold of us, you can tweet or Instagram us on at runnersworlduk, or you can email us your thoughts on podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next month. The Runner's World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios, Soho. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.